Hello, and welcome to the reading of the Sioux City Journal for Wednesday, January 17th, 2024. I'm your reader, Mary Francis, and you are listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicapped. You can check out more information about IRIS on our website, iowaradioreading.org. Front page of the journal today, um, really just two stories. Uh, first is Votes Heard Around the Country. This is an Eye on Iowa piece. And then the other story is Testimony Wraps Up in Gaussman Lawsuit. So we'll start with the first story. There's a big headline and there's a big photo as uh, a folks sitting around a table in a crowded, looks like a lunchroom. A caucus goer puts his presidential preference vote into an envelope held by Rick Bertrand Monday while voting in the Precinct 16 caucus at the Rockland Conference Center at Western Iowa Technical Community College in Sioux City, where seven precincts held their caucus. Republicans across the state headed to caucus sites Monday night to vote for the candidate they want to become the party's presidential nominee, and that's the caption from the photo. The subheadline is Newcomers, Familiar Faces, Brave Northwest Iowa Cold to Back Trump. And this is from Jared McNett of Sioux City. The cold didn't bother Sioux City residents much Monday night. Just in the Rockland Conference Center on the Western Iowa Tech Community College campus, 357 people showed up to make their GOP presidential candidate preferences known for the 2024 Iowa caucuses. The location encompassed seven precincts, and about half of the voters from those precincts raised their hands when asked if it was their first time participating in the process. When it came time to tally votes, more than half of the room backed former President Donald Trump, who's making his third bid for the White House after defeating former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton in 2016 and losing to President Joe Biden in 2020. Quote, I want my country back. Trump voter Jean Brinker, Brinkerhoff said, uh, she continues, from communists, liberal progressive communists. She said the issue that most concerned her in 2024 was the U.S. border with Mexico and an overabundance of federal regulations. Lita Schollenberger, who supported Trump as well, liked the 45th president's policy about building a border wall and his economics, while brandishing a Trump pen where the WWE Hall of Famer had boxing arms akin to rock'em sock'em robots, Schollenberger said she appreciated how Trump combated pointless spending. The Associated Press called the race for Trump at 7.31 p.m. At 11 p.m., the AP website had Trump with 51% of the vote, DeSantis with 21.2%, Nikki Haley with 19.1%, Vivek Ramaswamy with 7.7%, Ryan Binkley, 0.7%, and former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, 0.2%. In the final Des Moines Register, NBC News Mediacom Iowa poll, before the caucuses, 48% of likely GOP caucus goers said the former president was their first choice. The poll showed Haley at 20%, DeSantis 16, Ramaswamy 8, Hutchinson at one and Binkley at one. As Siouxlanders were in line to caucus, the temperature sat at negative six degrees Fahrenheit. On caucus night, which began at 7 p.m., 
or caucus night, which began at 7 p.m., came after a week-long winter storm, dumped more than a foot of snow on northwest Iowa, brought winds blowing 30 miles an hour or more, and forced numerous candidates to rework or cancel planned events in the most conservative corner of the state. Around 1 p.m. Monday, DeSantis, in the last in-person candidate event for Siouxland, asked a room of about 60 people at Pub 52 in Sergeant Bluff, are you ready to brave the frigid temperatures? Even with the caucuses just hours away, there were locals who weren't quite sure who they'd be supporting later in the day. Vicki Kolbaum, that's K-O-L-L-B-A-U-M, who said her top issues were the border, the economy, and foreign affairs, said she was treating the last second swing as a chance to learn more. I just want to know what's going on with each of the candidates to make a full decision, she said. As he sat waiting to vote in Sioux City, minutes before the clock struck seven, Jim Reeves was still vacillating between DeSantis and Haley. I don't want Trump in there, he said. He's just a loose cannon. He did good. We were better off with Trump than Biden, but I'm hoping either Haley or DeSantis gets in there. Things were more decisive once votes were tallied in Sergeant Bluff and Sioux City. In the former, Trump dominated among the caucus goers from three different precincts who gathered in the gymnasium at the Sergeant Bluff Community Center. The former president carried precincts 30, 31, and 32, with 60%, 51.7, and 62.4% of the vote, respectively. DeSantis finished second in each precinct with 18.3, 29.8, and 26.9. Haley had 12% in Precinct 30, 11.5 in Precinct 31, and 6% in Precinct 32. Denny Billiet, that's B-I-L-L-I-E-T, was one of those 80 voters in Precinct 30 who backed Trump. The 70-year-old from Sergeant Blush, Bluff, said America needs Trump back in the White House to fix the numerous problems that have developed under President Biden, including higher gas prices, rising mortgage rates, and a historic influx of immigrants coming across the southern border. Look at where we were when he was president and how we are today, he said. Donna Jean Burres, that's B-U-R-E-S, took part in a Republican caucus for the first time, turning out Monday night as a tribute to her late husband, Tom, who died in April. Her husband, a regular GOP caucus-goer, was a Trump supporter, but Burrez supported Vivek Ramaswamy on Monday night. She became impressed with the Ohio businessman, who she visited with at a campaign event in Sioux Center. He was so kind, taking a selfie with me, she said. Ramaswamy finished the fourth most votes in each precinct in Sergeant Bluff, with 10 votes in Precinct 30, five in Precinct 31, and four in Precinct 32. For one Sioux City household, there was actually a divide along the Ramaswamy-Haley line. Denise Browerman-Haley was was her was her pick because she's fresh. I'm going to start that sentence again. Denise Browerman said Haley was her first pick because she's fresh. Her son Jacob liked how Ramaswamy stood out from the pack. I like that he's young and handsome and charismatic, and I like that he's different from most of the dinosaur GOP candidates, he said. Prior to voting, each candidate was able to have someone in the room speak on their behalf. Binkley visited the Rockland Conference Center, and so the pastor of Create Church in Richardson, Texas, spoke for himself. He said those in attendance should have a litmus test for who they support. 
If they haven't said these words, I will pay back the debt or I will balance the budget. What are we doing? Following the Texas pastor was Sioux City Pastor Carrie Gordon, who leads Cornerstone World Outreach and is president of the Peacemakers Institute. In 2010, Gordon called on church leaders throughout Iowa to push for the ouster of three Iowa Supreme Court justices who joined 2009's unanimous decision to legalize gay marriage in the state. Gordon said his choice came down to Binkley or DeSantis. Quote, what we're trying to find tonight is a common thread, somebody that we can all unite around, who has the best chance of winning, and who meets minimum expectations of the Bible, from Exodus 18.21. Somebody that fears God, who is able to do the job that we're asking them to do, and can't be bought, and is known for telling the truth, he explained. He continued, Governor DeSantis came over to our home, and we had dinner, and I got to ask him a lot of tough questions. The candidates don't like to get asked. And he did a really good job, and he checks off the boxes, unquote. As for Trump, Gordon questioned whether he or whether he could he or his drama and current legal problems, that's 91 felony counts in four criminal cases in Washington, D.C., New York, Florida, and Georgia. Uh, there's a word missing in that sentence. Uh, I think it's he questioned whether he could overcome his drama. Um, typo there, sorry. John Potash took the podium to make the case for Haley and asserted, quote, we need a new leader who can work both sides of the aisle compromise without sacrificing the integrity of our country, balance the budget, and at the same time, not kowtow to our enemies, unquote. In Sergeant Bluff, there was more resistance to a speech in support of Haley. Chris Barando, that's B-A-R-O-N-D-E-A-U, who spoke on behalf of Haley during the Sergeant Bluff caucuses, argued the former South Carolina governor would be a more effective and electable choice than Trump. A sales manager with college degrees, Barando said he would support Biden in the general election if Trump ended up the nominee, drawing a chorus of boos from the audience. Quote, I understand that's not going to be a popular position, but I firmly believe that character counts, he said of Trump. No one spoke up for Hutchinson at the Rockland Conference Center in Sioux City. Russ Bertrand was the speaker for Ramaswamy and praised him for having, quote, the courage to oppose the CO2 pipeline in the use of eminent domain, unquote. Former 4th Congressional Representative Steve King went with Ramaswamy because his, of his eminent domain stance. Current 4th Congressional Republican Representative Randy Feenstra of Hull did not formally endorse a, endorse a candidate before the caucuses. To close out the speechifying, Doc Zortman stepped up to talk about Trump. His speech was peppered with lines about the globalists and intentional depopulation, which is considered a conspiracy theory. According to the National Institute of Corrections, the U.S. population has increased each year from 2019 through 2022. Northwest Iowa makes up a sizable chunk of the 4th Congressional District and has been crucial in GOP caucuses to winning the state as a whole. In the 2012 cycle, former Pennsylvania Senator Rick Santorum took 34 counties in the fourth on his way to a photo finish with the eventual Republican nominee, Mitt Romney. When Texas Senator Ted Cruz won, 
the Iowa GOP caucuses in 2016, he carried 24 of the districts, then 39 counties. Trump carried every county in the current district this cycle. Back in 2016, the last competitive caucus for Republicans, Trump split Northwest Iowa with Texas Senator Ted Cruz. That year, Republicans counted 186,932 caucus goers. For 2024, AP showed nearly 110 went to caucus. Trump took the counties of Carroll, Cherokee, Clay, Dickinson, Ida, Palo Alto, Plymouth, Sac, and Woodbury, while Cruz captured Buena Vista, Calhoun, Crawford, Emmett, Lyon, Monona, O'Brien, Osceola, Pocahontas, and Sioux, which is one of the reddest counties in the entire state. Since the Civil War, Franklin Roosevelt has on- has been the only Democratic presidential nominee to win that county. DeSantis lost Sioux County to Trump by 13.9 points. Iowa Democrats went to the caucuses to select delegates to represent them at county-level conventions in March, elect county central committee members, and discuss platform resolutions. District conventions will be May 4th. The state convention, June 15. The Democratic National Convention will be held in Chicago on August 19. The Iowa Republican Party's county conventions happen on February 17, district conventions April 6, state convention May 4. The Republican National Convention, where the National Party will formally nominate its candidate for president, is set to begin July 15 in Milwaukee. After the 2020 caucuses in Iowa, which were plagued with counting issues, the Democratic Party totally reconfigured its election schedule. In February 2023, the Democratic National Committee opted to make South Carolina the first state on the presidential primary calendar at uh, February 3rd, 2024. New Hampshire and Nevada, or excuse me, Nevada, following three days later. However, New Hampshire decided to hold a primary on January 23rd, 2024, in order to maintain its first primary in the country status. Members of the Iowa Democratic Party are making their presidential preference decisions through a mail-in voting process, which began on January 12th and will wrap up on March 5. The last day to request a presidential preference card is February 19. You can make requests for those preference cards at this website, iowademocrats.org. The Republican contest now shifts to New Hampshire, which will hold its primary January 23rd. Through Monday, the 538 average of New Hampshire polls had Trump with a 13.1% advantage over Haley. So Trump was at 43.4 and Haley at 30.3. DeSantis was in a distant third at 5.8. The Sioux City Journal's Dave Driesen contributed to this story. Our next story from the front page, Testimony Wraps in Gaussman Lawsuit. Suit alleges violations of open meeting laws. This is from Caitlin Yamada of the Journal. Current and former Sioux City school board members took the stand Tuesday afternoon to testify against a lawsuit filed by former Sioux City Superintendent Paul Gaussman, claiming they violated open meetings laws.
In January 2023, Gausman filed a suit against school board members Dan Greenwell, Jan George, Taylor Goodvin, and Bob Michelson, stating that they violated open meeting laws. All individuals named in the lawsuit, as well as Gausman, and Board Secretary Shanice Heilman took the stand Tuesday. The testimony dealt with two separate closed sessions, which Gausman claims were illegal meetings citing the wrong Iowa Code sections in order to avoid notifying him of their discussion and decision to file a complaint against him with the Iowa Board of Educational Examiners. Witnesses also were asked about the process of setting the closed sessions, details of an event that was the basis of a complaint to the Iowa Board of Educational Examiners, documents showing Gausman's knowledge of closed sessions, minutes of closed sessions, board policies guiding the planning of the meetings, and policies guiding superintendent evaluations. Due to the unique nature of the lawsuit, information that would normally be considered confidential from a closed session was discussed publicly. The suit alleges that at special meetings on January 24, 2022, and November 30, of 2022, the board met privately to discuss Gausman, his professional qualifications, and a claim that he attempted to bribe school board members. Greenwell and Goodwin, who served as president and vice president of the school board at the time, testified that based on Iowa Code and Sioux City school board policies, they followed the proper procedure for the closed sessions. Michelson and George also said they believe proper policy was followed. On January 24, 2022, Gausman stated the board met in a closed session to discuss him and his professional qualifications and to propose to file a complaint against him. To go into the closed session, the board cited the Iowa Code, stating that the closed session was to, quote, evaluate the professional competency of an individual whose appointment, hiring, performance, or discharge is being considered when necessary to prevent needless and irreparable injury to that individual's reputation, unquote. The code section specifically states the individual being reviewed must request the closed session. Gausman claims this did not occur. He contends items other than his appointment, hiring, performance, or discharge were discussed. Discussed, rather. The documents reviewed in court Tuesday showed the January 24 meeting was set as a quarterly review of Gausman's performance while he was still the superintendent. Greenwell and Goodvin testified that the meeting included a discussion of Gausman's quarterly review, as well as a discussion of the information filed in a Board of Education examiner's complaint. The pair testified that Gausman was not included in the portion of the closed session discussing the bribery attempt and argued it was relevant to his evaluation in terms of ethics. Court documents showed board policy allowed the board to decide who attends closed sessions. Goodvin testified that it was at the request of Greenwell that Gausman not attend that portion of the meeting. The discussion claimed Gausman attempted to bribe Michelson and George on November 17, 2021, before their official swearing-in, November 22, 2022. The letter to the educational examiners stated it was in an it was an attempt to solicit 
to solicit their support to re-elect Perla Alarcon Flory to the board president. If they were su- to support him in this, they would be able to, quote, make any of their desired changes in school operations, programs, activities, and other matters, unquote, according to the complaint. Gausman testified that he was not attempting to bribe the board members and instead to lobby them toward voting for two individuals for board leadership based on ongoing work. I did not offer anything to them in exchange for that, Gausman said. I did give that opinion, which is my opinion that I had the right to do, and so I did. He also said that as superintendent, he works for the board, and the board can direct him to make any changes to the district that they desire. Documents included in the filings detailed Gaussman's knowledge of the January 24 meeting, including an emailed meeting invite to all of the board members from Heilman, who serves as board secretary and superintendent administrative assistant, quote, on behalf of Gaussman, comma, Paul, unquote, and a screenshot of Gaussman's Microsoft Outlook calendar showing the closed session scheduled on January 24, titled, quote, Closed session regarding superintendent quarterly evaluation, unquote. An email dated January 19, 2022, was also discussed, in which Gaussman refers to his ongoing work preparing evaluation documents. The filing included a district document titled 2021-2022 Superintendent Evaluation. That was dated July 14, 2021. The document outlined the district's goals for the superintendent, as well as a timeline for quarterly superintendent evaluations, scheduled for September 27, 2021, January 24, 2022, March 28, 2022, May 9, 2022, and June 13, 2022. Gaussman testified he knew about the January 24 meeting, but believed it was a regularly regular quarterly discussion of his performance based on prepared documentation, not about other items. He said he did not know that event was being discussed during the meeting and testified he would have been, he would have asked that discussion take place publicly if he had been alerted. He added by not notifying him, the board violated his due process and did not allow him to share his perspective of the event in question. Greenwell and Goodwin said they met with Gaussman a few days after the January 24 meeting to alert him of the bribery claims and the discussions of it. Quote, his words were, Paul did a dumb thing, and then he asked for grace, Greenwell said, when asked what Gaussman's response was. November 30, 2022, the board held another special meeting and closed session to discuss Gaussman, he claims. The board cited another section of the state code, saying the meeting was to, quote, review or discuss records which are required or authorized by state or federal law to be kept confidential, unquote. That code section specifically says public bodies are only allowed to discuss confidential records, and Gaussman claims the school board went beyond that specification. Testimony on Tuesday confirmed the meeting on November 30 was regarding the bribery accusations made against Gausman and the process of filing a complaint with the BOEE. After the closed session ended and the board went into open session, Goodwin made a motion to direct Greenwell to file the BOEE complaint. Board members Monique Scarlett and Bernie Scalaro abstained from the vote. 
Perla Alarcon Flory was not president. The motion did not publicly identify who the complaint was being filed against. During testimony, Greenwell stated, the reason members felt the meeting fit within the confidential records, allowance for closed sessions, was due to the prior complaint filed by himself to the Board of Educational Examiners and the discussion of a future complaint. The prior complaint was filed by Greenwin himself against Gausman, August 1, 2022, with the same claims in a similarly worded letter without board support. The Iowa Board of Educational Examiners requires complaints to be from the district, and the one filed in August was not approved by the school board. Greenwell testified that he did not know at the time that complaints filed to the BOEE required board approval. He said Gausman was not specifically named when voting to file the complaint to the BOEE because it would have identified him disclosing confidential personnel matters. Gausman testified he was not notified of the November meeting and was not given an opportunity to explain his side of the situation. Tuesday was phase one of the trial, and the judge did not make any rulings on the lawsuit. If the judge finds the school district did violate the open meetings law, a second phase could be conducted to determine remedies, penalties, or mitigation. And a couple of photos I uh, accompany this article showing um, people sitting around tables in meetings. And turning to page two, our next story, ex-Sioux City police officer pleads guilty of assault. This is from Nick Hytrek of the Journal. A former Sioux City police officer who was charged with domestic assault has pleaded guilty to lesser charges and will be sentenced later this month. Bradley Ector, age 50, entered written pleas on January 4 to assault and interference with official acts, both simple misdemeanors. Sentencing is scheduled for January 29 in the Woodbury County District Court. Ector was arrested September 29 after Woodbury County Sheriff's deputies responded to a domestic assault call at a home in the 2100 block of Buchanan Avenue near Sergeant Bluff. Off-duty at the time of the incident, Ector was placed on administrative leave, and the department opened an internal investigation. Police Chief Rex Mueller said Ector resigned in lieu of termination as a result of the investigation. Quote, in the disciplinary process, he chose to resign, unquote, Mueller said. Ector entered a plea agreement in which the charges were reduced from domestic abuse assault causing bodily injury, a serious misdemeanor, and an aggravated misdemeanor level of interference with official acts. In his guilty pleas, Ector admitted he resisted or obstructed one or more deputies and that he, quote, did an act which was intended to cause pain or injury, unquote, to his wife, or resulted in physical contact or placed her in fear of physical contact. According to court documents, there's no sentencing agreement. Ector could be sentenced to up to 30 days in jail and find a maximum of uh, $855 on each charge. The case is being prosecuted by Plymouth County Attorney Darren Raymond, who is appointed after the Woodbury County Attorney's Office requested a special prosecutor because Ector had investigated several pending cases in Woodbury County and was a potential witness in them. According to court documents, Ector's wife had come to the home 
with scratches on her arms and told the residents that she was scared and couldn't call police because her husband had her phone. She then returned home. When deputies arrived, they made contact with Hector at the front door. He was argumentative and uncooperative. Before he was taken into custody, court documents said he pulled away and resisted deputies while they were trying to keep him from re-entering the home. Two deputies received minor scrapes on their hands as a result. The woman had a scratch on her left elbow, a cut on her left thumb, marks on her right forearm, a scratch and bruising on her right wrist, and pain in her neck and left elbow. Our next story from page two, Grassley hospitalized and treated for infection. Longtime Iowa Republican U.S. Senator Chuck Grassley is receiving treatment for an infection at a hospital, his office said on Tuesday. The 90-year-old Grassley is receiving antibiotic infusions for an unspecified infection, his office said in a news release. He's being treated at a hospital in the Washington, D.C. area, the release said. Grassley is, quote, in good spirits and plans to return to work as soon as possible following doctor's orders, according to the release. Grassley is expected to make a full recovery, and an update will be provided when available, a spokesman said. In January of 2023, Grassley underwent surgery for a hip fracture. He told reporters at the time he injured himself while doing a stupid thing in the kitchen of his Washington, D.C. townhouse. It didn't work, and I fell and broke my hip, he said. Grassley has represented Iowa in the U.S. Senate since 1981, and in 2022, he was re-elected to his eighth six-year term. And that marks the halfway point of today's reading of the Sioux City Journal for Wednesday, January 17th, 2024. I'm your reader, Mary Francis. You are listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicapped. All material heard on IRIS is intended solely for the use of folks with a print disability. And now we'll turn to some recent obituaries. Alan Edward Welding, 93 years old of Sioux City, passed away Thursday, January 11th at a local care center. A small memorial gathering will take place Thursday, January 18th, 10 a.m. at the Morningside Lutheran Church. Burial will be held at a later date at Graceland Park Cemetery. And with no opinions in today's Sioux City Journal, we'll turn to some more local stories. With Iowa losing pharmacies, lawmakers advance new rules. Um, Dateline Des Moines. Iowa House lawmakers advanced a bill on Tuesday aimed at reducing prescription drug costs for Iowans by strengthening some requirements for pharmacy benefit managers. A three-member subcommittee forwarded the bill for further discussion by the Iowa Com- or the Iowa House Commerce Committee. The legislation proposed by the Iowa Insurance Division, among its provisions, would require pharmacy benefit managers to, quote, owe a duty of good faith and fair dealing with Iowa pharmacies. Iowa Study Bill, House Study Bill 536, would also require pharmacy benefit managers, known as PBMs, the companies function as intermediaries between insurance providers and drug manufacturers, to use the national average drug acquisition cost when determining what price to reimburse pharmacies for dispensing medications. The Federal Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services calculated value attempts 
to capture the average price that wholesalers charge to pharmacies. Pharmacists have said they are selling many common brand-name prescriptions at a loss because PBMs reimburse them less than a pharmacy's cost to acquire the drug. Using the national average would standardize the information PBMs in the Iowa Insurance Division use when looking at drug costs, supporters said. Quote, this provides a nationally recognized way of pricing prescription drugs, unquote, said State Representative John Forbes, Democrat of Urbandale, who was a retired pharmacist who once owned Medicap Pharmacy. Lawmakers said the bill would aid independent community pharmacies that have struggled because of PBM practices. Quote, we think that transparency is much needed, said Seth Brown, director of public affairs with the Iowa Pharmacy Association. Quote, the publicly available metric is also very welcome for our members, unquote. The proposed legislation would also prohibit retaliation by a PBM against a pharmacy or pharmacist for filing a complaint with the insurance division, and they could no longer charge certain fees to pharmacies not yet in their network. PBMs, quote, think pharmacies should be paying them to have the privilege of doing business with them, Forbes said, and in the process are nickel and diming community pharmacies out of thousands of dollars. A Makokota pharmacy has led a lawsuit that claims CVS Health and its Caremark Pharmacy Benefit Manager violated antitrust laws and illegally collected fees from pharmacies that fill Medicare prescriptions. Should the community pharmacies prevail, CVS would have to return hundreds of millions, if not billions, of dollars that its PBM recouped from independent pharmacies over the past four years, Axios reported. Forbes cited the lawsuit for including the retaliation provision. Quote, basically, it says if a pharmacy does that, the PBMs come back and say, we're going to kick you out of the network or we're going to do a bunch of extra audits on your pharmacy, he said. PBMs play a major role in negotiating drug prices and reimbursements for pharmacies, but they operate with little transparency and oversight, lawmakers, pharmacists, and patient advocates argue. PBMs determine which pharmacies will be included in a prescription drug plans network and how much those pharmacies will be paid for their services. PBMs also regulate which drugs are covered under a specific plan and set copays, negotiate rebates with drug manufacturers, and process prescription medication claims for a fee for insurance companies, among other roles. Three of the companies, CVS Caremark, Express Scripts, and OptumRx, collectively control about 80% of the market. Doug Strike, uh, S-T-R-U-Y-K, is a lobbyist representing the Pharmaceutical Care Management Association, which represents pharmacy benefit managers. He raised concerns with the retaliation provision in the bill, saying the association worries it would prohibit, quote, a simple non-renewal of a contract should a pharmacy file a complaint. Quote, and the PBM is not able to make decisions based in their business interest because they're simply lumped into this catch-all provision that any time someone's filed a complaint, if you don't renew the contract, that it's in bad faith, he said. Additionally, he said the bill would prevent PBMs from recouping costs of vetting pharmacies asking to join their network. 
Mike Triplett, who represents Express Scripts, a subsidiary of Cigna Healthcare, questioned why lawmakers have not looked at legislation dealing with pharmacy services administrative organizations. They're connected with the country's three largest wholesalers and provide a range of services to independent pharmacies, including supporting the evaluation and execution of contracting with PBMs. Quote, you've been legislating and regulating PBMs since 2007, Triplett said. To my knowledge, you've not done anything to legislate or regulate PSAOs in Iowa. There are complaints made against PBMs that we are not reimbursing what was acquired through a PSAO. That's the other half of the equation that we would encourage you to look at, unquote. Pharmacies across Iowa have closed at an alarming rate over the past decade plus, partly because insurance payouts don't cover the cost of drugs. Nearly 100 pharmacies across the state have shut their doors since 2008, according to research from Michael Andreski, an associate professor of pharmacy at Drake University. In a recent study conducted in collaboration with the Health Professions Tracking Center at the University of Iowa, Carver College of Medicine. Independent pharmacies saw the largest hit, with 87 stores closed from 2008 to 2022. That's a 38% decrease. Rural pharmacies saw a 19% decrease, with 72 shutting their doors, according to the study. Forbes said he's hopeful the bill and other forthcoming legislation will keep rural pharmacies in Iowa in business. Quote, now the PBMs are going to say if a bill like this passes, you're going to see prescription drug costs go up, he said. And I just hope you really look into it and see what's happening across this state in rural areas. We're going to see a large, large number of pharmacies close in the next 12 months. Here's another local story. Sioux City man faces 15 more child porn charges. A Sioux City man, already facing 15 counts of related to the possession of child pornography, has been charged with 15 more. A complaint filed Friday in Woodbury County District Court charges Stanley Hill with 15 counts of first offense, purchase slash possession of a depiction of a minor in a sex act. His bond was set at $15,000. Hill, age 82, first arrested in September and subsequently pleaded not guilty to 15 counts of sexual exploitation of a minor after police found more than 100 photos containing images of naked male and female children under the age of 18 in his possession. According to the new complaint, while Hill was jailed after his arrest, he called from the jail to another person, asking him or her to clean out his office at home. The person cleaned the office and removed a few items at Hill's request and gathered a thumb drive labeled Pure File. The person opened the drive and found photos of male and female children in various stages of nudity. The person turned the thumb drive over to Sioux City Police Detectives, who received a search warrant to open the drive and view its contents. Detectives discovered 238 photos, all of which were interwoven with adult pornography. On many of the photos, Hill had added graphic text. Now we'll turn to some local sports. High school basketball. Helan, the girls basketball, Helan beats Black Raiders to stay undefeated atop MRAC. 
Brooklyn Stanley played a different game this season, and it's made the Bishop Heelan High School's girls' basketball team even more dangerous in its follow-up to two straight state tournament runs. Stanley, a senior, Northwest Missouri State commit, has led the Crusaders in scoring the last two seasons. Also, a starter mid- starting midfielder on the state champion Heelan girls' soccer team, she's drawn on that soccer background to become her team's primary distributor, as the squad is reaping the benefits of a breakout season from six-foot junior Abby Lee and the emergence of a budding star in freshman Melina Snoozy. It definitely has helped playing soccer, said Stanley, whose average of five assists per game ranks second in Class 4A. It gives you that aggressive mentality, and we have a few girls on the team who also play soccer and have that mentality. On Tuesday, the 4A 5th-ranked Crusaders beat 5A number 12 Sioux City East in a Missouri River Athletic Conference contest 62-42 at O'Gorman Fieldhouse inside Bishop Heelan High School. I really liked playing the players we have right now, the 5'9 Stanley said. This year is a lot different than past years, and we're adjusting to that. We always try to play into everyone's strengths. I play into that. With the victory, Heelan remains one of 10 unbeaten girls basketball teams in Iowa and one of three in 4A, along with number two, Clear Creek Amana, and number four, Waverly Shellrock. Stanley, coming off a season-high 25 points, 11 steals against Des Moines Lincoln, went for 16 points on five of nine shooting with three rebounds, two assists, and two steals against East. She's evolved her game, said Bishop Heelan head coach Darren Kulstra. We probably have more scoring around her this season, and she's playing great team basketball on both the offensive and defensive ends. She's one of our leaders. She's been around all four years, been All-State twice, and on the All-State tournament team twice. She knows what it takes, and she's very unselfish. She's got a great basketball IQ and does so much for us. The five foot eleven Snoozy also went for sixteen points, and Lee went for a game high twenty points with nine rebounds, two assists, and three blocks. Abby Lee was amazing down low, said Coolstra. East scored the game's first basket, but Lee tied it on the Crusaders' ensuing possession to jump start Heelan as it took a nineteen seven lead into the second quarter and never looked back. Stanley, Lee, and Snoozy are averaging over a dozen points per game for the Crusaders, led by Snoozy's 19.1 a game. Stanley is also tallying four steals a game, a number that ranks fifth in Class 4A. East tried to stay within striking distance, which it mostly did until midway through the fourth, but every Black Raider run was met with a response from the Crusaders. We played outside defense, Kulstra said. These kids take pride in their defense. We set some goals coming into tonight. We're a goal-oriented team, and we met those. We wanted to hold them under 12 points in each quarter, and we got that done except for the fourth quarter. That's a lofty goal against a team like East. It takes effort. It takes rebounding. Trishelle Miller, an East sophomore who led the MRAC in scoring as a freshman at 20.3 points per game, played in her third game of the season for East after returning from an injury and had a team-high 16 points on 6 of 15 shooting. 
Senior University of Nebraska Kearney recruit Alexandra Flattery had 11. Sophomore Hudson Ranshaw clipped in eight for the Black Raiders. Entering Tuesday, Flattery was scoring 20.6 points per game, the second highest average in 5A. Ranshaw's 19.1 and outing was the fifth most in 5A. To supplement its big three, Helan also received eight points from senior Maddie Demke, who went six of six from the free throw line in the fourth quarter and added six assists with three rebounds. The starting five has really proven themselves this year, Kolstra said. Going into this year, we didn't know who the starters would be, but Maddie LaFleur has really stepped up too and taken that fifth spot. She makes all the hustle plays. She dove on the floor for a ball tonight and locked, knocked it loose, and we got a layup out of it on the other end. The way she plays tells you how much heart she has. The Helan win means the Crusaders have been victorious in 29 of the last 36 games versus East. On Friday, East hosts the only other conference team it's been defeated by in 4A 7th-ranked Lamars. Helan takes on Sioux City North on Friday in a road MRAC contest. Our energy was just unbelievable, Stanley said. It came from every girl on the team, whether they were on the floor or on the bench, and that really helped. We came in ready to play. We hadn't played in about a week because of the weather, so we were kind of dying to get back out there. This is probably the last time the seniors will play East, so we really wanted it. And then there are a series of photos from the game. And we'll go to our next story. This one's boys basketball. East wins earns season split with Crusaders. Fitzy Grant couldn't wait to take the court on Tuesday night. The Sioux City East senior has had an eventful past week as he was added to the preliminary list of players that will comprise the McDonald's All-American game following the season. Unfortunately for the Morningside University commit, his East squad, like most around the state, has had an uneventful past week due to the inclement weather and string of cancellations. We all know how big a deal the McDonald's All-American game is, so just to see your name on the list of nominees for that is really cool, Grant said. It means a lot. But it was crazy, he continued. We had three games postponed or canceled. Everyone was ready to play tonight, and it was great to get back to it on a high note. But there were no signs of rust for the Black Raiders, as East avenged a season-opening loss to Class 3A 6-ranked Bishop Helan, and they beat the Crusaders 68-54 at the O'Gorman Fieldhouse inside Bishop Helan High School in Missouri River Athletic Conference play. Like his players, Vanderloo was biting at the bit to get back to it after the unexpected time off. It was a big itch, he said. We got so used to practicing and playing so much, then all of a sudden you just have to sit around because of the weather. So not only getting out, but having it be a big rivalry game on the road amped it up a notch. But I'm proud of you guys. Helan is a good team, so to get a win on their court is a big deal. The first time we played them, we made a lot of simple mistakes, and we weren't clicking on defense, and they beat us. Tonight, we cleared that up and did a way better job. We just played tougher. Grant led the Black Raiders 
with a game-high 19 points to go with four rebounds and three assists. The six-foot-two guard missed his first shot attempts, but only misfired two more times on 11 total attempts and went three for three from the free-throw line. Sophomore Bilal Yusuf added 15 points as he made uh, five of nine shot attempts. And junior Manasse Kasongo Malu chipped in 11 points in making five of six shots. Kasongo Malu ranks as one of the most efficient players in the state as he's converting over 70% of his field goal attempts. That's the second highest percentage in Class 4A and the ninth best mark among all classes. East led wire to wire. The lead grew slightly with each passing quarter. A four-point Black Raider lead at the end of the first turned into a 29-22 halftime advantage for East, and the sides went into the fourth quarter with the visiting side up 51-42. Coach Raz almost talks about setting the tone right away, and I think we did that, Grant said. Off the East bench, Chris Loggins, Diego Alvarez, and Jang Rue, that's R-U-E-I, combined for 11 points while converting four of seven shots from the field. That was a really good game for us, Grant said. We had a lot of young guys on our team that are really talented. I think the first time we played Helan, we maybe weren't quite ready as a team, but this time we were ready. Everyone had energy. The bench came in and played great. Seeing how well we can play gives us a lot of confidence, he said. Helan was led by senior Wayne State recruit Matt Knoll, who had 17 points, 5 rebounds, 4 assists. Senior Bo Chamberlain added 14 points, and senior Quinn Olson chipped in 10 points with 5 assists. The All-Stater Knoll entered Tuesday, averaging 20 points in a game. That's the 5th best mark in 3A play. Like Grant, Knoll's name also appeared on the list of prospective names for the McDonald's All-American game. The Crusaders won the first meeting of the season, 69-65, the only heel and win in the last 13 games between the sides. The East victory knots the two squads in the MRAC standings behind Council Bluffs, Lincoln's 6-0 conference mark. Both Heelan and East had games against C.B. Lincoln, CB Lincoln canceled this past week. Heelan hits the road to continue its season on Friday for an MRAC contest at Sioux City North, while the Black Raiders host Lamar's that night. We have a team full of people who can contribute to help us win, Grant said. We've got a lot of depth, Vanderloo said. Whether it's four minutes, 20 minutes, or more, everyone on this team has a role. When they play to that, and we play, with the passion and energy we did tonight, we have a chance to win every single night. And then we've got multiple photos of the game. Um, and that's it for the copy. That's all we've got for local sports. Here's a story uh, why electric cars don't go as far in the cold. With temperatures bottoming out across the country, electric vehicle drivers are probably noticing their driving range plummeting. Here's why that keeps happening. And there's more to it than you might think. Tests by consumer advocacy group Consumer Reports showed the EV driving range dropped by about 25% in highway cruising on average in sub-freezing weather compared to days with warmer weather. There are two main reasons for the drop in driving range. 
or how far the car can go before recharging, the battery and the driver. Both human beings and EV batteries work best within a sim- within a similar temperature range, which is roughly in the mid-60s to mid-70s, said Andy Garberson, head of marketing for EV battery research company Recurrent. Batteries operate through chemical reactions, with electrons and ions moving from one side of the battery to the other. When it gets too cold, all sorts of chemical reactions slow down, including those taking place in the battery. This means that driving range is reduced. But human beings also don't function so well in the cold. When we're driving on a cold day, we need to turn up the heat. That's actually a much bigger factor in reducing EV range than the effective temperature on the battery itself, says Garberson. In a gasoline-powered car, turning on the heater hardly impacts fuel economy at all. That's because gas engines make a lot of heat all the time, in summer and in winter. In fact, when your car burns gasoline to drive, more of the energy gets turned into waste heat than motion. Routing some of that extra heat into the cabin to keep occupants warm is no trouble at all. Electric motors and batteries, on the other hand, produce very little waste heat. That's part of the reason why they're so efficient, and almost all of the energy from the batteries is used for driving. But when the cabin needs heating, the energy used for that gets subtracted from the miles that can be driven. That means driving range can drop considerably. In Consumer Reports tests, taking lots of short trips made things substantially worse. Every time the vehicle stopped and the cabin cooled down, it had to be reheated again when the vehicle started. That sapped more energy and doubled the amount of range that was lost. Fortunately, most newer models have very efficient heat pump heating systems to help minimize that impact. But even those systems have their limits and don't work well when temperatures drop below about 14 degrees. They're considerably more efficient for heating. They're considerably more efficient for heating whether it's your house or your water heater or your car. So you're just drawing less energy to heat your cabin, he said. Still, heating the cabin causes substantial range losses, he said. EV charging times are longer when the temperature is cold. Charging, just like discharging or powering the car, is a chemical reaction that is slowed down when temperatures drop. Fortunately, most newer EVs have sophisticated temperature management systems that work to keep the battery pack close to its ideal temperature. If you're in cold weather, it's actually going to activate the thermal management to heat up that battery, he said. So the goal would be, by the time you get to the charger, the battery is warm enough that it doesn't matter what temperature, what the temperature is, rather, outside. And that's all the time we have for today's reading of the Sioux City Journal, uh, Wednesday, January 17th, 2024. I'm your reader, Mary Francis, and you've been listening on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicapped. We're so glad to have you listening. Uh, Stay warm and have a great day.